and we love each of you. Give yourselves a hand and give Jesus a hand. Amen. You can have a seat if you if you will. Uh, I've got something to share with you today. Amen. Take your Bible. We're going to get right into it. And turn to Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 7. If you guys don't mind, today's the day I'm going to set just a little bit here. Isaiah 61 and verse 7. Very powerful portion of Scripture. Isaiah 61 and 7. It's good when on a rainy, you know, on a rainy day like today, it just feels like we're just here together with our family, don't it? We just, we just gathered up and staying dry. Isaiah 61 and 7, you know, 61 and 1 starts out with, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, sent me to bind up the broken heart, proclaim the liberty to the captains, open the prison to them that are bound, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he goes on, and you realize that he's talking about the ministry of uh, the church. Jesus quoted this scripture going in, in Luke chapter 4, but uh, you realize he's talking about the ministry of the church, which is being you. Uh, and, and in verse 6, it says, <clears throat> For you shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you ministers of our God. How many of you know that you've been anointed to be ambassadors for Christ? Yeah. So you shall be called the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. That means that the, the heathens, the Gentiles, the unsaved people, are going to be saved and come into the kingdom. Look at verse 7 now. For your shame you shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. For your shame you shall have double, and for your confusion You'll rejoice in your portion, and you're going to rejoice in what God has given you. For your shame, you shall have double. I want to talk to you about the shame game today. Stop in the shame game. I, I, I have found out that there's a lot of folks that are eat up with shame. You say, well, I don't, never thought about that, Brother Steve. Well, you get to talking to some folks, and you'll realize that a lot of folks' shame dominates their life. So many of the day we're dominated by the a sense of shame that in our walk with God, we, we, we seem to have hit a roadblock and uh, a spirit of condemnation over past failures. And we're constantly reminded of our unworthiness to live in the fullness of God's purpose for our life. Every time you think you're going to rise up to the fullness of God's purpose, shame says you're not worthy, you're not ready. And so a sense of despair that you'll never measure up. And you find yourself going down a road of regret that's paved with the asphalt of past memories. And every pothole and every bump reminds us that we're not up to par. And we don't need to expect our future to change. We're just caught in this place of shame and failure and disgrace. I didn't do it. Maybe you're thinking I didn't do it to myself. But yet still, here I am. I'm caught. I'm hung in this place. Uh, what is shame? I went to the dictionary, and there's several definitions of shame, but the one that I thought was most fitting, a general overall definition, was a, 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 a sense that we're flawed and unworthy of acceptance. What is shame? A sense that you're flawed 
and unworthy of acceptance. You know that's not God because Ephesians 1 and 6 says he has made us accepted in the beloved. So listen, church, we're not trying to be accepted. We are accepted. You hear what I'm saying? We are accepted. And so when shame comes along and says you're flawed and, 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 and you're not worthy of acceptance and, and, you, and you find yourself starting to shrink back and hide, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed until sin opened their eyes and the nakedness opened their eyes to their nakedness and, and, and then they hid from the light of God's presence. And for fear that he would see their nakedness, they ran off and covered themselves. They'd never before been ashamed, but now sin was in their life and suddenly they were ashamed. See, listen to what I'm telling you. It's a terrible thing when you think that you're no good. See, I'm not going fast today. I'm not going hard. But I'm pouring in medicine. It's like, you know, it's like when you had to drink that castor oil. You, you took it slow, but it, but, it, but it healed you when it was over with, right? Uh, let me say that again. It's a terrible thing to go through life and feel that you're no good. To have a, a feeling that you're less than others. And in trying to hide your inadequacies from everybody else. Did you hear what I said? And trying to hide, you start trying to hide your inadequacy. Start trying to cover up for failure, your failure in front of everybody else. You're consumed with a sense of shame. Huh. Listen, let me, let me show you a lesson. This is a life lesson in dealing with shame. Never confuse shame with guilt. Did you hear that? There are two different topics. Never consume shame with guilt. Now, let me explain that statement to you. Uh, guilt will cause you to focus on what you've done. Shame will cause you to focus on who you are. Uh, now, 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 listen to me and walk through that with me. Guilt will cause you to focus on what you've done. But shame will cause you to focus on who you are. See, <clears throat> I feel guilty if everyone knows I got drunk. But I, I'm living in shame if I see myself as a drunk. Everybody, everybody, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So shame corrodes the very part of us that believes that we're capable of change. Guilt would say to you, I've done something wrong. Shame would say, there's something wrong with me. Guilt would say, I've made a mistake. Shame would say, I am a mistake. Guilt says what I did was no good. Shame says I'm no good. So there's a difference in shame and guilt. Everybody okay? A difference in shame and guilt. So you start to have thoughts of like, you know, I, I, when shame's talking to you, you start to have thoughts like, uh, uh, I feel like a fake. I just feel inadequate. I'm, I'm not up to, to what's expected of me. I feel, this, I feel just like I can't measure up to what I ought to. Uh, thus, you begin to realize that who you are, shame says you, tells you, shame tells you that who you are is the limit of your life. and That's your ceiling, and you'll never get past that ceiling because nobody else might know it. You're covering real good, but you know who you are, and you can't get past that ceiling. Has anybody in here ever experienced that? Right. Come on, be honest. Yeah, yeah, you, you have. Of course you have. 
And so uh, you, start to, you start to talk yourself out of, out, of, out of the goodness that God would put in your life. Psalms chapter 50. Look at this right here. Psalms chapter 50. See, when Pastor Steve's up preaching, when Pastor Caleb's preaching, he brings a word and a wind from the Holy Ghost that'll knock you in the floor if you're not careful. Pastor Steve's up teaching. I'm just an old slow teacher with a Bible. But, uh, the, well, and I'm, I'm not comparing the two of us and trying to, trying to get up on Pastor Caleb. He's tremendous, tremendous. I wish even at 30 I'd had that anointing that he's got. Look at Isaiah chapter 50. And uh, that didn't come across Pastor Caleb. I didn't mean it to be like that. Look at Psalms chapter 50 and verse, uh, look at verse 19. Shame is screaming at you, screaming at you. Verse 19 says, you you give your mouth to evil and your tongue frameth deceit. Here's what you'll do if you start to see yourself as unworthy. You give your mouth to evil. The word evil there is, you, you, strangely enough, you, you give your mouth to things that are unpleasant and unprofitable in your life. You give your mouth to the unprofitable and unpleasurable things in your mouth, and your tongue starts to frame. It's the words you think about, like a house that's being built, and you frame that house up. And that house is sitting there in the frame. You, if you talk to people in the building, it's just say, you say, how's that house going? How, how far along are you on that house? And they'll say, well, we got it framed in. Well, when it's framed in, that's just a structure of what the house is going to look like. Somebody's got to come in with their imagination and say, I want this wall to be blue, this wall to be blue, this floor, to, this wood to be this kind of wood. So with your, with your mouth and with your tongue, you begin to frame what your life's going to be. Are y'all listening to me? I said, with your mouth and with your tongue, you've been framing what your life's going to be. Listen, I don't care what shame says to you. I don't care how guilty that you think you are. Isaiah says it this way. Turn with me there. Isaiah chapter 45. Go to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. You asked Pastor Caleb, I was trying to compliment you, and it came across like I was kicking at you. I, I sure didn't mean to do that. Isaiah chapter 45, and uh, look at verse uh, 24. Look. It says, Surely shall one say in the Lord, I have righteousness and strength. Surely shall one say in the Lord, I have righteousness and I have strength. Listen, on the worst day of my life, If I'm living right, there is still, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. On the worst day of my life, he is still, whom the Son has set free, is free indeed. On the worst day of my life, when shame is screaming at me and telling me I'm no good and I'm not worthy and I don't measure up, on the very worst day of my life, your Bible still says that I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. On the worst day of my life, my name is written in the Lamb's book of heaven. So surely... In the Lord, I can say I have righteousness, I have right standing, and I have strength. He'll put, let the weak say I'm strong. He will put his strength on your weakness. So surely when shame is screaming at me, I can say I have righteousness and I have strength. 
I want that to get into you as I go forward. You have righteousness. and You have strength. I'm talking to those of you that are dominated with shame. You still have righteousness, and you still have strength. You still have righteousness, and you still have strength. Peter moved past shame and into his purpose. Christ had warned Peter before the cock crows, you're going to deny me. Peter said, no, Lord, it never happened, and it happened. So Peter runs off in shame. He's, now he's become the shame of, of his actions. His shames are just screaming at him. That's now who he is. Peter is now the disciple that cursed the Lord. That's how everybody knows him. He's the one that cursed the Lord. But what Peter didn't know was, and I want you to think about this. Mary runs to the, to the sepulcher on the day of the resurrection. And instead of the body of Christ being there, there's an angel. And the angel sees the two Marys come. And the angel says, he's not here, he's risen. But he said, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus sends a message by the angel. The angel says that Jesus said, go tell my disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. Now I want you to think about that. Jesus the resurrected Jesus, who had just gone through all of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? All of the uh, pressure, all of the, all of the, just the, uh, I can't find my word. I'm looking for a word. Just all of the, uh, one of you preachers help me. He'd gone through all of the experience of the resurrection. What the traumatic experience, how horrific, how Terrible that must have been. But yet, at the moment of his resurrection, when the angel comes down, he's resurrected. He says to the angel, tell my disciples, and oh, yeah, tell Peter, because he's over here and shame's done eat him up. And he thinks he's no good, but, but, but I'm not through with him. You tell Peter to be back, too. And, 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 and that's, what, that's what I want to come back and tell some of you today. The Lord would say to you, I want to meet with you too. I'm not just meeting with them people at the church, but you, the one that's eat up with shame, and you might have even did something to cause your shame. I want to meet with you too. Now what's, what's Peter? Peter got over it. 47 days later, look at Peter. Go to Acts chapter 3. Go to verse 13. Acts chapter 3 and verse 13. Three and thirteen. Look at Peter here. It's the day of Pentecost, and Peter's up preaching, and he done, he done, done ripped ripped into the, you know is if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you get baptized, get saved, you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost. You'll you can speak in these tongues and all this kind of stuff. Uh, in, in chapter three, uh, the day after Pentecost, now he's at the temple, and they raised the, the, the brother in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the crowd gathers up around him, and Peter begins to preach to him. And look what Peter says. Peter, the one who was away, was hiding in shame, the one who had denied Christ. Peter says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you have delivered and denied him in the presence of Pilate. And he was 
he was uh, determined, to let, and Pilate was determined to let him go. But you denied him, the Holy One, the Just One, and desired a murderer to be granted. Here's Peter now, of all people. Listen to what I'm telling you. Of all people, Peter. Peter's the one who denied him. Peter is the one who denied him. And of all the people, Peter's the one pointing his finger at the Jews saying, you denied him. Pilate would let him go, but you denied him. You denied him. You denied him. How could Peter be so bold that he had just gotten over a month earlier? He had been laid on his face crying out, I denied you, Lord. I failed. I'm a miserable failure. And here we are a month later, 47 days to be exact later, and Peter's pointing at somebody else saying, you denied him. You denied him. You denied him. Somebody say, you a he was a hypocrite. No, Peter wasn't a hypocrite. Here's what Peter found out. He found out that scripture in Isaiah, that in the Lord I have righteousness, and in the Lord I have strength. Peter found this out. He, he was preaching to them because once Peter knew forgiveness, that forgiveness required him to, to forgive himself. Hold up. Now, what did I just say? Once Peter knew forgiveness, that forgiveness required him to forgive himself. Let me say that word again. Forgive himself. Because some of you guys that are eat up with shame need to learn to forgive yourself because God's already forgive you. And why are you walking around under an umbrella of shame and the blessings of God are trying to rain down on you and you run up your umbrella of shame where none of God's goodness can touch your life because you'd rather live up under the shame? Mm. Paul and Silas held the coats as they stoned Stephen. Paul come with legal papers. He was going to arrest and kill all of them who called themselves Christians. And he'd had made, he had made havoc of the church. And he even confessed it. If you go over in Acts chapter 26 with Paul's own words, go over to Acts chapter 26 and look at verse 11. Acts chapter 26 and verse 11, Paul was talking and he says, in verse 11, he says, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. What? Think about that. I'm going to come back to that. I, I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them unto every strange city. Even as I went up to Damascus with authority of permission from the chief priest. Here's what he said. I compelled, I, I chucked them down, I killed them, and I compelled them to blaspheme. What he was saying was that as I was killing them, I would compel them to blaspheme. It could mean nothing other than I was telling them, deny him, and I'll let you go. Deny him, and I'll let you go. And when they wouldn't deny him, he would kill him. Hmm. Think about that. How could this man, how could he say in Philippians chapter 3, I forget those things which are behind, and I press toward the mark of the prize of the heart calling. How could he have such a change in his life that he completely forget people who were laying before him bloody and crying out <clears throat> for their lives? And, and he was saying, deny this Jesus, deny this Jesus. And he would murder them and kill them. And yet, one experience with Jesus is love. And he's saying, I forget all of that's behind me. I forget all of that's behind me. 
I forget all that. So it's behind me. Listen, before I move on, I, 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 if you're in here and you're dominated with shame, I want you to understand this. Forget all that that's behind you. Paul said it. Forget what's behind me. And I pressed toward, toward the mark of the prior. I forget <clears throat> what is behind me. I forget what is behind me. Can you forget what's behind you? If you can, you can get over your shame. Donnie, I'll take that water. If you can, you can get over your shame. Now watch this. Here's what, here's what Paul understood. Thank you, my brother. He understood a couple of things. He understood, uh, again, there in Isaiah, in the Lord. I have righteousness and strength. By the way, I want to say I appreciate y'all going through this with me. I know that y'all see me struggling in front of you. And uh, I'm, I'm fighting, and I'm going to regain all of my health, not just some of it. But, uh, <clears throat> but in the meantime, I appreciate you tolerating me and, and uh, being here. First Corinthians chapter 6, here's what Paul understood. First Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. I told someone, I said, Well, maybe, maybe what I'm going through these next few months I should just disappear and lick my wounds and heal. And 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 I was told, No, we'll take you how you are. We just want you to preach. So uh, so um, again I appreciate you. How could how could Paul who was killing Christians, suddenly changed like that. Look what Paul wrote. Paul wrote this himself. And such for some of you. Well, I, need, I guess I need to address the chapter before when he says such for some of you. Uh, he says in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. That's folks who are having sex and they're not married nor idolaters, nor adulterers. That's a married person having sex with somebody he's not married to. Nor effeminate. That's, I don't even want to go with that. <laughs> nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's, that means sodomites in the Greek. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. None of these guys shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such for some of you, <clears throat> but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul said, I was killing them. I was the scum of the earth. I was as far away from God as I could be, but now I'm washed. Now I'm sanctified. Now I'm going to be glorified one day in the name of the Lord Jesus. Just when the devil thinks he's got you down, you draw back and hit him with the Holy Ghost fist and say, wait a minute, you need to understand, devil. Now I'm sanctified. And now I'm justified. And I'm going to be glorified. So you need to get out of my face before I give you a black eye. And, and just understand, devil, that he has cast my sins behind his back. He threw them off in the sea of forgiveness. He threw them away as far as the east is from the west. Shame comes. And he, here's the thing. Here's how you know it's shame. 
Because shame is always the accuser of the brethren, not God. It's not God that's accusing you. It's shame. Shame is the accuser of the brethren. Let's see if I want to go in this or not. Can y'all handle? Yeah, y'all can handle this. I guess you can handle this. I want to talk to you about shame will bring you double for your trouble. It will. Let me tell you about the God that we serve, guys. Listen. The God that we serve loves to pick up from the back of the pack. He loves to use the least <clears throat> to do the most. <clears throat> Anybody in here that's the least that's doing, did you feel like you qualify to do the most? No, you don't. But let me tell you, God uses the least <clears throat> to do the most. <clears throat> it wasn't the older brethren's. That the prophet came for it was David, the little brother. It was Gideon that was hiding in the wine presser. And the angel said, go and save Israel. Gideon said, are you kidding? My family's the poorest family in the kingdom. And I'm the least in my family. And the angel said, go in this your mat and save Israel. Go in this my mat and save Israel. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says, that for your shame you shall have double." For your shame, you shall have double. Now, now listen. Shame is what qualifies you for more. David had, excuse me, David had 18 sons by seven wives. Somebody say, what a man. <laughs> 18 sons with seven wives. Lord, help him, Jesus. <clears throat> and when it, came, when, it came, when it came time for one of his sons to be king after him, even though he had 18 sons by seven wives, it wasn't the first one, it wasn't the second one. The first one would have qualified. You know who God chose to be the king after David? It was Solomon, of course you know that, but Solomon... Out of all 18 sons, Solomon was the one that didn't qualify and should have had his head dropped in shame because Solomon was a bastard born out of wedlock. Or should I say conceived out of wedlock? Think about that. Who's going to be your king out of all your sons, David? Uh, the little bastard boy that's born out of wedlock right here. And that's the one God used. I should be, that should take some shame off of some of us in here today. That's the one God used, the one that was conceived out of wedlock. The one that was conceived out of wedlock. Don't, don't let shame set limits of God's goodness in your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't let shame set the limit of God's goodness in your life. Uh, Let's go with it. Go to Isaiah. I'm, I'm hesitating whether to go here, but I am. Go to Isaiah chapter 40 and watch this with me. Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, let me see how much I need to explain this to y'all. Not much. Let's just start with verse 1. He says, comfort you, comfort you. 
my people, saith God. Speak constantly to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. Her time that I'm dealing with her is, is through. That her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. She has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. You could take that as the Lord punished her times two. But I don't believe that's what it means. I believe it means that the Lord blessed her times two for all of her sins. The Lord forgive her times two for all of her sins. I, I, see, I believe in the God of the devil. I believe that anything God does, he wants the devil. I believe in the double anointing in your life. I believe God wants your finances to double. I believe God wants your health to double twice to what it is now. I believe that we'll see twice as many saved as we've ever seen saved in here. I believe that we'll see twice as much of the goodness of God as we've ever seen in this house. Now, let me get ready to close out with this. I'm going to be short today. And some of y'all is going to get free from this shame. But go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Go over there with me. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's read Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Lord, I seen the praise team getting up, and I thought, my God, I'm so boring. Everybody in here is leaving. But it's just a praise team. <laughs> I know I'm struggling, but don't everybody walk out on me. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 1 said, Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. Now watch this. Run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2 is where I want to go, but I want you to talk about that just a minute. Run with patience the race that's set before us. You know what patience is? The Bible says that you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might inherit the promise. Patience is that place that you're living in, in between doing the will of God and inheriting the promise. That's, that's why you're having to demonstrate patience because you've done the will of God and you're going to inherit the promise. And the promise is making its way into your life. But because you've done the will of God, you've got to stand still. You've got to be persistent. You've got to wait on God to show up and do it for you. Watch now. As I'm waiting in my patience, look what the Bible says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame. We're talking about shame. Despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne. He endured the cross, and he despised the shame. What shame? Whose shame did Jesus despise? Think about it a minute. Whose shame did Jesus despise? If you go over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it tells you plainly. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 tells you plainly, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but it was in all points tempted like we, yet without sin. Wasn't his shame for any sin? Because he didn't sin. Whose shame did he endure? Uh, John chapter 4, 14, look at that. John chapter 14 and verse 30. We're talking about shame. 
John chapter 14 and verse 30, who shamed that he endured. Somebody say, preacher, mark your Bible before you get in here preaching. John chapter 14 and verse 30, Jesus says this. He says, uh, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. He said, the devil's coming and, and he can't. He has nothing in me. There's nothing that he can, he can, can accuse me of. There's no way that he can say that I failed you. He has nothing in me. Notice he did say, I'm going to keep my mouth shut from now forward. That's one, that's one lesson to learn when the pressure's on. Shut your mouth. Everybody okay? Shut your mouth. You know, you know somebody said a lot of times that uh, they won't know you're – Everybody won't know that you're ignorant until you open your mouth. They just wonder if you're ignorant when you open your mouth and know you're ignorant. Amen. I, I remember one time I was with a with a bishop over a network of churches that, that I was involved in, and uh, we went to the airport to pick up a man that was the president over uh, this Christian, the uh, Christian Life Theology, the School of Theology. And prior to starting the School of Life Theology School, he was the president for, I think, 20-some-odd years over the Berean Bible College, which was uh, the largest Pentecostal Bible college, and all the Assemblies of God were, were in that Bible college. And so we go to pick this man up. And if you, have you ever been around somebody that you can just, you can just see intelligence shooting out their eyes? This man got... I, off the airplane, and we met him in the airport, and he started talking, Donnie, and, and <clears throat> he was using words that I didn't know what they meant. He was using some words that I'd never heard, and we sat down for lunch to eat before we took him back to his hotel, and we started to discuss theology, and it wasn't but about two sentences into it that I realized the because I'm there with this bishop and with this president of this Bible college. And about two sentences into it, I realized the best thing for me to do is shut my mouth. And they won't know that I'm not at their level. <laughs> and, uh, and so I got real quiet and listened. Amen. Who's shame? Jesus is shame. Whose shame is Jesus saying, uh, is at his cross. Think about it. He, 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 let's look at it again. Go back over to Hebrews chapter 2. Look at it again. Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, again, look at a verse. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. What am I saying? Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross and despised the shame. He had no shame to despise. The devil had nothing in him. He had lived a life without sin. We spot this. The shame that he despised was your shame that he took. And what that tells me is now that when shame jumps up on me, I can say, shame, we're going to nail you to the cross. Because that's where Jesus' blood is running. 
and we're going we're to stick. We're, we're going listen. We're going to stick to shame with my whatever happened in my past. We're going to put it on the cross because that's where the blood of Jesus ran and forgave me for it. And whatever's happening today in my present, I'm feeling ashamed of. We're going to we're going to put that on the cross, and the blood of Jesus is going to cover it. And I, I'm even going to go ahead and shame. I'm even going to go ahead and say whatever you might try to accuse me of in the future. The blood of Jesus has got you covered. Got you covered. You put shame on the cross, and shame loses its power. Shame loses its power. Listen to me. Listen to Pastor Stephen. Listen, listen to what I say closely. Uh, 33 years now of pastoring here in this church, and I've counseled with a lot of people. And a majority of the time, the only thing that's keeping them from grabbing God's goodness and stepping forward into their future is shame. They just can't get past that shame, that thing that happened. And a lot of time, that shame is stemmed from something that somebody said to them or about them or something did to them. Somebody did something to them, is what I'm trying to say. Something that somebody did to them. And so they're letting something that somebody did to them or something that somebody said to them or about them cause them to live there again. That umbrella of shame goes up and God reigns his goodness. But you can't get goodness on you because you live in the front of the umbrella of shame. You just know, you just know. God can't do it for you like he can somebody else. You, you look at somebody else and you just think, I'm not as good as them. I know what my, my, my history is. How can God bless me? Let me help some of y'all out in here. Watch this right here. If you've, ever, if you've ever done drugs, abused alcohol, or had any sexual issue, in your life, done to you, done through you, or drugs, alcohol, sexual stuff, if you've been a thief, if you've lied, if you've fornicated, uh, if you've stolen, stand to your feet. Go ahead, stand to your feet right now. Be honest before God. Now, my God, I'm pastoring a church full of drunks and liars. Now, now, now wait, hold up just a minute. This, I wasn't expecting this. This ought to tell us something. I, I'm trying to look around and see if there's anybody in here sitting down. If there's somebody sitting down, please raise your hand where I see you. Yeah, we may as well go home. I'm preaching to the choir because y'all already know that you're free from shame. Y'all already know. The, the Bible said, in the Lord I have righteousness and I have strength. In the Lord I have righteousness and I have strength. Look at your neighbor and say, you got righteousness and you got strength. Boy, I'm telling you, y'all just blew me away. I, I was expecting about half of you to stand up. Somebody said you fish after your own kind. And I guess 
knowing my history, you the kind of guys I'm going to have in here, right? So, praise God. I want to say to you again, you can be free from that shame. 